The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. This is Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardell. Toronto's News, today's talk, 640 Toronto. Well, good evening, my friends. Welcome to the scary month of October. Uh, but it's only scary because, well, you know, ghosts and goblins uh, pop up here and there. Uh, but, you know, when it comes to the stock market, the stock market, uh, something I'm very dear, dear to my heart, uh, it tends to be okay in October. And uh, considering the month of September, uh, good golly, it was almost, almost down double digits. Um, it doesn't continue in that direction often. It tends to at least have a reflexive, that's the word of the day, reflexive reaction uh, to such extreme moves. Uh, so when something goes extreme one way, it tends to then snap the other way. At some point, uh, Javin Mirza is joining us. Jack and I, of course, are here for your financial well-being. Uh, Jack, of course, is the producer show lines up the guests. And, uh, well, we have our very own uh, technical analyst uh, working at Canaccord. We're blessed to have such an individual. Very rare breed, uh, surprisingly. Uh, I say that uh, there's not a lot of market technicians working on Bay Street. And having one is, well, uh, I shall say, very, very well uh, respected and appreciated. Uh, Javid uh, previously worked uh, for one of the big banks. Uh, and he also was uh, involved in derivatives pricing at State Street. Uh, all math. Uh, toxic, toxic stuff, I shall say. And Warren Buffett used to refer to that stuff as uh, weapons of mass destruction, but not Javid, no, very, very responsible man. MBA, CFA, certified market, he has all the letters. He really does. Uh, Javid, welcome to October, my friend. Uh, sell in May, go away, buy when it snows, sell when it goes. Um, where are we at in the cycle? I, and I say that because I, you astutely have been speaking about uh, a four-year cycle reset, uh, you've been speaking about that for about 18 months in that the, the stock market was strong, going right through COVID. Money was being poured into the system. That was tying into your four-year cycle that the bull market was going to continue, but had to stop and pause at some point. And you were predicting about 18 months ago that that was going to happen likely in 20, late 2021, uh, early 2022. Well, you were right. Uh, it did happen in 2022. And basically, it, it feels like we've had 9, 10 straight down months. But your call was at some point, that would be the, the uh, fourth leg of the market, the, the fourth phase that the market goes through. Uh, expansion, uh, trough, decline, bottom, turn the corner back up. Uh, your, your call was perhaps the market would hit bottom in the fall and then turn positive uh, for, for many reasons in 2023. Uh, so with that backdrop, uh, Javit, please, uh, where do you think the market is at today and what is in store for the next say, 18 months perfect thanks so much uh, for that intro wolf so a couple of things in terms of the four-year cycle reset yeah we were fortunate we got that call right at the start of the year and we've been you know for those of you who have the archives you can go through and listen to our previous calls on this so we're getting incrementally more constructive here uh, what has happened, though, is that this corrective phase has gotten deeper than we anticipated. And in line, also, we've seen commodity and yield strength that's stronger than we anticipated. So where this takes us is that we're at an inflection point here 
where we could potentially shift into a secular bear market. So for those of you listening uh, on the radio, think of it like a, a sideways box, and we could potentially shift into that for the next 10 years. So we had the most recent two secular bear markets from the 70s to 80s, and then from 2000 to 2010, those were sideways trading ranges where basically if you invested there, uh, your money kind of moved sideways for a lost decade. So we're really at the risk of entering into one of these things, and there's a key level we're looking at. It's the four-year moving average on the S&P 500. So we're going to find out over the next couple of months whether we hold that line, and if we do, then we're going to start a new four-year cycle, and we're really – Obviously, that's the case that uh, we're the most interested in. Now, we have to be aware of the downside risks. And if we do break below this level and see a multi-week and multi-month close below it, then that means we've got another 15 to 20% of potential downside. And then this corrective phase could last into the summer of next year, which basically is setting up for a repeat of the 2000 to 2002 tech bubble. Um, let's again repeat a secular move is a move that takes place over about a decade uh, and there, are, there is more speak out there so you know that the market does go sideways for an extended period of time uh, so that risk is alive and well on the table but there is also a risk to the upside that the secular bull market that began roughly 12 years ago in 2009 at the end of the financial crises Secular bull markets equal actually greater magnitude on both the upside and the duration, I believe. Uh, they yes. can last for 15 to 20 years. So on yes. the table is still the probability that for the next six or seven years, this market does continue to propel higher and make new highs. Uh, what is the probability of both occurrences? In other words, secular bull market where we go higher for another seven, eight years versus secular bear market where we basically go sideways with some volatility both up and down for the next 10 years? Uh, so at the start of the year, if you asked me that question, I would have easily said 80 or 90% that we remain in the secular bowl. Now, uh, I think it's closer to 60% uh, that we remain in the secular bowl. So we're definitely at a really big inflection point. We're going to find out in the next couple of months. One of the things we want to see is rates start to come off here. Uh, we'd like to see commodities start to, to stall and, and weaken as well. And those are two of the things that we're looking for in line with uh, equity markets holding above this key level. So right now, if you put the, uh, you know, those are the kind of the odds that we're looking at here, 60-40. Now, what we do see is that some of our favorite plays continue to hold in really well. And even though the market has made a double bottom, which is what we were talking about in the summer, is that we thought the first test to get above the 200-day would fail, and we kind of print a double bottom. Uh, the reason I'm bringing this up is because even though the equity indices are, you know, basically have retested their June lows, if you look at our favorite ideas, which are biotech and solar energy, they are holding well above their June lows. So that is incrementally a, a positive sign. Just to jump in here, Javid, uh, you say for the secular bull to continue for the next I'm going to say six, seven years, uh, we're going to need to see lower rates and lower commodity prices. In that environment, wouldn't you expect to see a recession as well? And it wouldn't it be difficult for the uh, for stocks and equities um, you know, uh, to advance in, in an environment where you have a recession with lower interest rates, lower commodities, and a slowing economic cycle? It doesn't sound like it's a constructive case for uh, the equity market. It does or it does not? It does not. That's what we saw in uh, 2018. 
So when uh, that was last time we saw the the, the Fed's uh, taper there, and that is basically, you know, led to the four-year cycle that began in December 2018. So you you can actually uh, see that, and that's constructive because input costs are going to be lower, borrowing costs are going to be lower. All of that is quite constructive for equity markets. And also with the risk-free rate, uh, it's easier, uh, risk-free rate being lower, it's easier to entice investors back into the equity market. Right. So would you say that would be a soft landing? And you hear that term kicked around in the media a lot. What that is, is basically a slowdown of the economy, soft landing, slowdown of the economy, but not a a deep and hard recession that people have to slug through for the next, you know, three or four years. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of what we saw a little bit of it back in 2018 when uh, the last four-year cycle reset, which was basically a peak trough decline of around 20%. And that's exactly what we saw there is commodities weakening. Uh, you saw copper peak in the summer, and then you saw crude peak in the fall. And then equity markets peaked uh, from the fall uh, to December 24th. And then that basically set up nicely for the next uh, four-year cycle, which took, basically took us from 20 2018 all the way to the end of 2021. So if, if we can see a repeat of that, if the Fed can come on and uh, ease here, well, not necessarily ease, but at least pause, then that would be, uh, and that's what people are talking about with this Fed pivot or shifting away from their current uh, rate hike regimen, that would be quite constructive for equity markets. Uh, one of the things is, I'm not sure if you guys follow like modern monetary theory, but you know some of the things that I've heard in regards to that is that raising interest rates is actually a cause of inflation because it raises the actual price level. So the the Fed, by raising interest rates, maybe actually uh, going in the wrong direction of what they're trying to accomplish here. I want to stick with the charts for a minute um, because that's ultimately what's going to give us – there's a line in the sand, and if the market falls through that line, likelihood that we're going to be in a tough slug for the next, again, five to ten years, and if the market – manage to go in the opposite direction, uh, well, perhaps it's back to game on. So look at the S&P 500. And friends at home, that's the 500 largest companies in America all put into one basket, uh, and that is the granddaddy of indices to watch, certainly in North America, the S&P 500. You hear me speak of it often when I do my daily radio. Yeah, my little radio. <laughs> um, look at the S&P 500. The 200-day moving average is about uh, 400 the S&P 500 right now is trading at three. So I'm talking about the SPY. Uh, the, so if you want to look at the index, uh, 4,000 uh, is approximately where the S&P 200-day moving averages. The S&P right now is trading at around 3,700. So to, to the upside, there's resistance I see with the, two, with, with the 200-day moving average. But I also see support at 3,500 in the S&P, and that is the 50-week moving average. So about about 7% downside risk on the charts where support, I think, better be had uh, or else uh, secular bear. Would you agree with that, with that statement? Yeah, and that's exactly where we're holding a line. We're literally the four-year or 200-week moving average. We're right around that level, and we actually bounced off it uh, over uh, basically since to start off uh, this week or last week as well. So that level is key, 3,600. If we can remain above it, then uh, you know the secular bull market remains intact, and that would be quite constructive. But one, one last thing I did want to point out is, you know, when we do enter this 10-year sideways trading range, you still have. Uh, basically upside and downside. The only difference is it's capped and you kind of remain in this range. So if you are able to kind of put risk on and put risk off, then it uh, you can trade and make money. But for long-term investors, it's a tough 10-year sideways slog. Well, for retirees, there is some light at the end of the tunnel. 
Look, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to share that light with you uh, right here on Hi-Fi Radio 640 in Toronto. Wolfgang Klein, your host, Jack Hartle, my partner, Jabba Mirza, our own technical analyst at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. Stay tuned. Let's take a break. Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. joining us right here on Hi-Fi Radio. We're talking charts. We're talking technical anal- analysis. Um, we're talking trends. Uh, the trend is your friend, and that's what market can, technicians uh, highlight, is trend of market. Trends do continue uh, until, well, something intercepts with them. And we had a great bull market uh, for the last three years until the central banks intercepted it by raising interest rates aggressively. Well, for retirees, you can actually generate some yield today. Um, and part of a balanced portfolio should often incorporate some bonds in it. So the stock market, well, again, Gavin Mirza and uh, my own technical work tells me that, you know, the market sort of has to hold that 36, 3,500 level on the S&P 500. That's about 5% downside from here. If it goes further than that, uh, we could be in for a much tougher slug. And on the, on the, up, on the flip side, you know, if you do hold on, on the upside, again, it could be capped perhaps 6 or 7% higher from here. So range-bound can be very, very frustrating. You need income. There's good dividend-paying stocks out there. But there's also bonds. And the bond market has certainly, well, uh, it's down more than the stock market. We'll start with that this year. Bonds, the 20-year Treasury bond is down over 20% this year. Uh, two years in a row, that type of action, I don't no, and I highly doubt it. Javit, uh, let's talk about the bond market. Um, do you think the bond market will have, again, a year like this year, next year? Or do you think perhaps interest rates do taper and therefore push bond prices higher? Uh, again, retirees can now generate almost a 5% return, uh, holding a number of different securities that you know are of investment-grade quality or borderline junk slash investment grade. Uh, speak to us about the bond market and its trends and uh, what it's telling you. Yeah, so we've had a very important breakout by U.S. 10-year yields above an important downtrend, but also another indicator of long-term trend, uh, technical indicator that we look at, RSI has uh, told us that there's a long-term secular shift that's going on right now in bonds that we believe ultimately is going to lead to the sell of the generation, whereas before, 
uh, in the early 80s, we had the buy of a generation. And what this ultimately means is that yields are, looks like they're beginning a new secular uptrend. So to your point, you are going to be able to generate uh, more uh, investment income from bonds. Uh, either way, if even if we remain in the secular bull with this breakout here in yields, it strongly suggests that uh, if we do pull back here, we're going to not make new lows, but rather find a higher floor. So that is important to note, and it's one of the things that ultimately down the road is going to be a long-term headwind for equity markets is if you can get a higher rate of return, not in equities, but just buying uh, bonds. So to your point, uh, we're seeing that in our technical work as well on that this does suggest this could be higher for longer, which was definitely not the case for the last 30 years, like since the 80s, almost 40 years, uh, this long-term downtrend in uh, yields, uh, which has led to a rise in bond prices. Again, my friends at home, the bond market is is a market of pure math. Uh, Inflation expectations are a big component in the mathematics, uh, but the inverse relationships. So I know it's Saturday night. Uh, I don't mean to hurt your brain, but I want to help you better understand uh, what takes place in the world of money management as well. Hopefully you have some money and you want to have more of it. So the more you know, well, the more you should have. Uh, So when interest rates go up, bonds fall in value because, well, uh, if you have a bond that's paying 2% and the market interest rate is 5%, for you to sell that bond of yours that was yielding 2%, you have to lower the price of capital for someone to uh, be willing to purchase it because they want to have a competitive instrument from you and you have to therefore move on your price to make that work. I hope you can uh, better understand and appreciate what we're talking about here. So interest rates have been falling uh, for, well, since 1980, for about four decades. There's some periods where the interest rates uh, rallied higher, but the long-term trend has been down for four decades. Javid, <laughs> do you think we're going to have a long-term up? trend in interest rates for four decades? I, I know it's a bit, probably a stupid question, but hey, you never know. No, no, that's a great question. Actually, so this is what it's looking like, and this is ultimately, and we've talked about this before, what we think will put the nail in the coffin in the secular bull is this uh, rise in interest rates and this break of this long-term downtrend. The only thing is, over the last, uh, you know, since uh, we've been an analyst, going back uh, over 10 years, we our call was that this would last into 2030 and this rise in yields uh, would not take place until, call it, the late uh, 2020s. But we are seeing signs here now in early 2022 that secular shift is potentially uh, beginning now. So definitely something we're taking note of. Um, and I think pension funds down uh, are, are definitely taking note of this as well. Um, again, friends at home, I want you to stay with the conversation, please, because Javid brought up a very interesting point. Um, uh, we had a gentleman, a former credit analyst, Mr. Reynolds, uh, join us frequently on, on this show. He was working out of our office down in Boston. And as interest rates were falling, pension funds were challenged to make their returns required to support their pensionees. Uh, and therefore, they were going into a low interest rate bond market and using excessive leverage uh, buying 2% or 3% bonds, leveraging them up 4, 5, 6 to 1 to try to generate a 6, 7, 8% return. Um, as interest rates rise, and therefore they, they were bidding up bonds. There's so much demand uh, from their own death to buy more bonds. They kept pushing bond prices higher, which inverted put yields lower. Um, again, you would think that's the reverse now. 
So are you, are you learning about what the pension managers therefore are doing in this, in this rising rate environment and, and how are they achieving their yield requirements? Friends at home, try to stay, stay with us on this conversation because it does matter. Yeah, so, I mean, ultimately, this is potentially what we could be seeing here is if we are seeing a shift into a secular bear market, then I think you're going to see portfolio managers diversify uh, away from, uh, call it, uh, you know, bonds and other fixed income instruments. And you've seen this broad repricing in equities, especially a lot of the yielding uh, equities or bond proxies here, especially over the last month, call it utilities, uh, REITs, uh, et cetera. But what the other asset class, uh, which is uncorrelated, which you, you know, would support a, a shift into a secular bears, you could see these pension, big, large pension funds shifting into commodities as well. So definitely we're at a major inflection point. We're going to find out in the next couple of months which direction we're going. So uh, a lot of balls in the air, and we're going to definitely be watching them all, see how they come down and line up, and then letting our clients know which, uh, which direction uh, – the, how the wind is blowing in terms of all those major asset classes. The other thing I would add in there, Wolf, as well with these pension funds is uh, a lot of these pensions, we talk about higher inflation that we're in right now. Um, these pensions are indexed to inflation. You talk about CPP, teachers, almost. Uh, so the hurdle rate that they're going to have to generate, uh, you know, to stay positive and not be underfunded uh, is only getting more challenging for them. So uh, I know that they're excellent managers, especially the, the Canadian pensions. But, um, you know, having an index inflation, obviously it's good for the pensioner, but it makes the, the job of the portfolio manager just that much more challenging. So, Javid, what kind of a posture should investors have at this moment in time? So, uh, you know, what we've been telling clients is in all our momentum work, relative performance work, we are all our indicators are at levels where historically you see at least some sort of intermediate term price load take hold. Uh, we last highlighted this in the summer, and then we got a pretty good 10, 15% rally off the lows. So uh, the bottom line is I'd be adding some equity exposure here. Uh, the areas of the market that we like, obviously we've highlighted to you. So there's some risk on areas of the market, uh, but in general, you know, if you're a long-term investor and you're picking away here at these levels, uh, I, I think you'll do fine, especially, you know, we've got the Canadian banks, a, a lot of long-term companies, the railways uh, that have pretty big modes, just long, long-term holds where you use the product or you see it as stable and being in use. Those are the kind of that areas of the market that we'd be picking away at here on weakness. So, again, I want to repeat, on weakness, I'll, give, I'll, I'll throw the mic to you in 12 seconds, Jack. On weakness, you like the Canadian rails, you like the Canadian pipelines, you like the Canadian banks, is that correct? All of the, all of the yeah. Just, uh, you know, at the beginning of the show, Javid, we talked about how difficult September was, and historically it's, you know, seasonally the worst month of the year. Uh, I think the S&P was down close to double digits. We'll call it, you know, 8 9%. What do you make of the start uh, that we've had in October? Because um, we've had a heck of a move. Um, what are you seeing with the, the breadth sentiment? And uh, I think we had two, uh, two days of up over at least 2% anyway. So we're starting October pretty strong. What are you seeing sort of under the cover of this uh, little mini rally that we're having? Yes. So, 
you know, this setup we're seeing is very similar to what we saw at the end of June. So in our last note, we were telling clients to add equity exposure as they were looking into the abyss. And that was quarter end. There's a, a lot of shenanigans going on there. And so the setup here is quite constructive. So Uh, One of the things we've highlighted as well in talking to our uh, team of advisors here at Canaccord is, look, the last uh, quarter of the second year of the presidential cycle has always been quite constructive because you get through midterms, you get through a lot of overhangs and the market, you know, it doesn't hate bad news. It adjusts to bad news. It hates uncertainty. So once you get through midterms, uh, the market understands what the president can put through, and then you typically see a pretty strong end to the year. So I'm constructive into the end of the year. Historically, that's what it's setting up. All of our technical work is saying the attract reward risk ratio here is quite attractive. So it's and it's funny talking. You know, I talked to a lot of hedge fund clients as well. I spoke to one last Monday. He said I was the only. He gets a lot of stuff. He said I was the only constructive guy on the street. So. To me, that's, you know, quite telling. I think sentiment is quite bearish. And so, you know, I'm not saying there's blood in the streets, but there's definitely a lot of fear, and I like stepping in here. You know, Jeb, I want to jump in here. You you said a couple of points. Friends at Home Wisdom was shared. Javid said the market does not hate bad news. The market hates uncertainty. That is so important because the media headlines will never speak of the uncertainty. They will always speak about the bad news. The market may have already discounted it and act in an opposite direction to the headline of that bad news. So don't let the bad news drive your investment decisions. Worry about the things the market does not know yet. And that, again, is a whole other challenge, which means for the most part, the average investor, Alabama shanks, hold on. But you got to adjust at the periphery. Uh, so we are at a very interesting juncture. Uh, Short term, you're constructive, Javit, from what I'm understanding here. But midterm, you remain, I shall say, somewhat neutral with a defensive awareness uh, that, in fact, yeah, uh, the rally that we're currently witnessing could be somewhat short-lived. And again, David, I look at the midterms, and I agree with you. We, we're coming off, I believe, and the headlines are, friends, <laughs> don't, don't pay into headlines, but the headlines are telling us this is the, one of the worst starts. Now we're nine months into this year, but the, one of the worst years the market has witnessed uh, in over 50 years. And with that negative backdrop, you just got to think that next year it has to take a different turn. And that's, I think, where the paradox is. Jab, I'm going to give you 12 seconds to respond to that statement. Well, I mean, if it is going to get worse, then I think you're more worried and uh, you got to be buying, uh, you know, gold, guns and uh, nuclear shelter. But we think that all the fear is here in the market and we like the setup. And like I said, for at least the next couple of months, setup is here is, is for a rally. And if this holds and it continues, then all our technical work and we will watch this every very closely and let you guys know. But the bottom line is then we are going to be starting a new uh, four-year cycle, which we're very excited about. Well, very helpful. Uh, we will keep our antennas perked and, uh, well, we'll keep dialed into uh, your desk, my good friend. Uh, very, very constructive. Very helpful. Uh, Going to take a quick break. Stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. There's more Hi-Fi Radio in a moment on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.
you know, of the mood. But, you know, our business is pretty good, and I think most people's businesses are okay there. I would say, Dan, sentiment's very negative there, uh, just in the equity markets right now uh, and risk assets. You know, uh, we talked about uh, investing and, and the mood of the market, but uh, investing is really a game of transition. So what would you think it would take for investors to, you know, get off their back foot, their defensive foot, maybe um, capital markets to open up and, and get more offensive? What kind of um, signs would you be looking for for that to happen? Great question, Jack. You know, you and I know this. The market predicts the economy, probably by six months, probably by a year. You know, the day that the economy's going down and everyone's worried about recession will probably be the day that the market does really well. Because everyone's thinking, okay, we've seen the bottom, let's come out the other side, let's pre-predict. So we need something out there to kind of indicate that we're at the bottom. To Wolf's point before, maybe maybe unemployment, Maybe some companies going out of business. Maybe, you know, all that negative news will be enough to get the, 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 the monetary authorities in the various countries to say, hey, maybe we're not increasing interest rates as much. And the second that that happens, the market rallies up, I think, significantly, because it'll predict, uh, rightfully so, that the economies are, you know, eventually, and when I say eventually, six months, 12 months away, going to recover. So the market's going to do a lot better before the economy does better, from my perspective. And that could happen as soon as the end of the year. Like, all we need is, you know, we've got companies finishing up their quarter just like we did, you know, uh, six days ago. All those results will be published in kind of the beginning of October. I think we're going to see a decline in, you know, various companies' results. And therefore, uh, maybe that'll be enough to kind of, you know, spur the the Fed into non-action, stop increasing interest rates, or stop signaling that that's what they're going to be doing. But uh, but I feel pretty good about it. Sorry, yeah, joining us at Hi-Fi Radio, we have our uh, chief executive officer, Mr. Dan Davio, joining us. So why am I bringing Dan on? Because he's a very very smart businessman. This is a show about money, and money well comes from good businesses. Uh, Dan uh, is a securities lawyer. He worked with Goodman for an extensive period of time in the uh, mergers and acquisitions uh, department. He then became an investment banker and actually ran or co- was co-head at CIBC World Markets. Then he moved over to Canaccord uh, Denuity and, uh, well, has been uh, with us uh, for an extended period of time. Uh, it's an absolute delight to have him uh, join us uh, this evening as we get a view of the global perspective of business and the mood of money from, uh, well, his lens. Uh, Dan, you're also going to be heading back to uh, Australia. Uh, we have offices in Perth. How similar of a market is uh, the Australian economy? Uh, and I ask that because they, they backed off on their interest rate hike campaign this right. Week, a small surprise to the market. They only raised interest rates by a quarter of a percent, less than anticipated. So, talk briefly about uh, Australia and then we'll go to break. Yeah, Australia, notwithstanding that Perth is the furthest point on earth away from Toronto, literally 18,500 <laughs> kilometers away, it's identical to Canada. Like, honestly, it feels very, very similar when you're walking around Australia than if you're walking around downtown Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, or anywhere else for that matter. So, a very, very similar market. Obviously, a resource market market like ours. It's got a similar securities law regime, similar you know wealth management regime. So the markets are very, very similar. And quite frankly, in Australia, we're, we're starting to see the beginning of a rebound there, certainly in the resource sector, for sure, um, be it lithium and gold and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, Australia is feeling pretty good. Uh, we're going to talk about the next 10 
years, uh, an investable thesis that well, we continue to build out at Canaccord. Uh, Dan Davio, uh, our chief executive officer, graciously spending some time with us. This man is constantly flying around from continent to continent, scoping out the business landscape. Hi-Fi Radio, 640 Toronto. Stay tuned. Want to make more money? Stay tuned for more Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Boss on with us today. Had a <laughs> the boss, some boss music. Uh, and, well, I made him laugh last time. You didn't know what hit him when I when I interviewed Dan and played the the boss for him. So I had to repeat that. Uh, <laughs> he was prepared for it this time. I know he was. Um, Dan Davio, our chief executive officer, graciously spending some time with us. The man travels the world. Uh, he's a security lawyer. He understands business inside and out. He knows his numbers. Uh, your education alone makes my, my brain hurt. Uh, uh, statistics, uh, mathematics, legal, security. Wow, Dan, it, it, absolutely incredible. Um, you know, and it, the big picture thinking, I think, is the best way to build out an investment portfolio as opposed to the, uh, you know, getting caught up in, in current manias. Um, it, well, what is real is electrification. Uh, what is real is decarbonization. Uh, what is real is there's this energy transformation that is taking place that could be trillions of dollars in size. Canaccord is at the forefront of that. Uh, Dan, I want you to speak to the initiatives that we're making in the ESG theme, environmental social governance, and how important you believe it is to successful investing for the next 10 years. Yeah, I think, it, you know, taking out all the hype, you know, Wolf, out of the whole ESG investing area and just looking at the practical business, you just outlined it. There's trillions of dollars to be spent to create the infrastructure that we need for electrification. You you know that. And it's not just lithium and batteries, it's copper, it's nickel, it's some of the base things that we've done for years. It is going to be a massive space. And and every year we're gonna see that, and that trend's not gonna stop. One day we're not gonna wake up and say, oh, you know what, coal's a really great thing. You know, that won't change, and that's going to go on. The question is, like any emerging space, is when to invest, not if to invest. And, yeah, if you have a 10-year investment horizon, great, invest right now. But, you know, there'll be there'll be ebbs and flows on that because a lot of those commodities and a lot of that material is needed in other activities that's, you know, dependent on the broader economy. So it's not a question of if you get in. It's a question of when you get in. And, you know, quite frankly, we're, as, as you know, Wolf, whether it's our, you know, Australia operations or Canadian operations, even our U.S. operations, and for sure our U.K. business, spending a lot of time in the various sub-segments that investors are going to make money in as, uh, as capacity grows in these areas. 
You know, Dan, and, and Jack and I have been speaking uh, about this for some time. Uh, I'm just going to throw a few broad points out. Uh, number one, Jack made a very valid point. Uh, you know, if you want to figure out the world of investing, follow the currencies. Um, commodities are priced in U.S. dollars. The strongest currency uh, of the year is by far the U.S. dollar. Uh, and as such, uh, it is where money is flowing to. Uh, now, if we go into what Jeb was referring to as a secular bear market, where the U.S. stock market becomes range-bound for a five- to ten-year period, often in that occurrence, commodity markets kick into gear because money wants to find a safe haven, and while a hard asset often is viewed as a safe haven. And again, uh, you now layer on top of that uh, the ESG theme. Uh, Jeb, this could, excuse me, uh, Dan, this could be a setup uh, for, 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 for parabolic move in prices. And you layer on top of that, Dan. The amount of money oil companies are currently making. And again, what, what, what makes me uh, think uh, is, is one of the best performing assets this year, Dan, is coal. Uh, Peabody Energy, BTU is a symbol. That stock is up 165% year to date. Uh, Canadian bank stocks that trade at eight times earnings and pay a 6% dividend are, for the most part, trading flat to down on the year. Uh, energy stocks are trading, uh, again, with a lot of mojo because they're returning cash to shareholders in the form of dividends in terms of share buyback, uh, and they're not investing a whole lot of money back into the drill bit. Uh, so you, you have that, the, the old commodity market with lots of mojo, but then you have this space uh, of, uh, you know, first solar, uh, a solar stock making all-time highs. Uh, Javid highlighting the ETF TAN, CAN, which is a solar ETF. So on the one side, you have carbon-producing assets doing very, very well. On the other side of the pendulum, you have this green thing. Well, guess what, Dan? We own a bit of both in our portfolios. Can you comment on, on that? <laughs> no. You're, you're smarter than me, Wolf, for sure. No, on I'm that. not. That's oh, no. So you I'm know, on the show. I hang out with smarter people than me. (laughs) Listen, at the end of the day, you can see why oil and gas has done very well for the last little segment. We're at record high commodity prices. We're, you know, somewhat supply constrained. You know, you can you can see that now, not necessarily from a Canadian perspective, because in Canada, you obviously have, you know, market access issues, pipelines or whatever, and probably a political environment that's not that supportive of the space. But certainly from a global perspective, you definitely see that. But the governments aren't going to change here, right? They're not going to wake up one day and just change their mind on 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 ESG, uh, you know, particularly E. And and so from a trend, long-term trend perspective, you've got to put your money, you know, in that in the space. However, you choose to play it out. Maybe it's through nickel. Maybe it's through copper. Maybe it's through lithium. Maybe it's through software and services that that help you get there. But that's ultimately where I think think things are going to go. But you're right. From this perspective, uh, right now in this market, both those areas are doing well for sure. Yeah, another cool stock that uh, our analyst, uh, previously Jed Dorsheimer, covered, uh, now we have a new analyst on it, um, is, is the business of silicon carbide. Uh, Wolf Speed is the company. If you're interested in, in, in the future, go to Wolf Speed's website, uh, do some research. If you want some research on it, call us, Jack, and I can actually send you the report. It's an absolutely brilliant report. Uh, silicon carbide, man-made, well, found in nature rarely, can be man-made uh, at temperatures of 2,500 degrees Celsius. Put that in perspective, that's half the temperature of the sun. Wolfspeed is capable of doing that. That increases efficiency in the transmission space of electrification. Fascinating stuff taking place. Battery walls, another fascinating part of the business. 
And Elon Musk, well, he's going through with his uh, Twitter acquisition as he continues to show the world how to electrify. Uh, that man can certainly throw some balls in here. He's going to be on the show very, very soon because Dan's going to set that guest up for us. Dan knows everybody. <laughs> a real pleasure indeed. Dan Davio, Chief Executive Officer. That wasn't too bad, was it, Dan? That was fantastic. Thank you. All right, my No, no, thank you for your time. Jack Hartle, producer of the show, thank you for lining up the guests. As always, exceptional work by the Wolf on Bay Street. Uh, Have a great weekend, my friends. We'll speak to you next Saturday, same bat time, same bat channel. Thank you. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardhill, portfolio managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any questions about money, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. Join us again next week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.